Today's scripture reading will come from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is God's word. Please remain standing for the song that follows. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My It's such a moving song. And uh, every time I I listen to you sing it, I I get just a a glimpse of what the beauty of heaven is going to be like. And I wish it was here. Father, you are terribly good to us. You're awfully good to us. 
Thank you for giving us voices. To be able to express that gratefulness for that goodness to you. Our hearts sing in the joy your grace brings to us. Our soul indeed delights and is delighted by your love, a love not bounded by human failure or our brokenness, our fallenness. Our minds bow in humility to the mystery revealed in the gospel, reconciling us to you. We strive in all of our awkwardness to love you and to love others in a way that sums up your will for our lives. And our prayer in this short moment is for you to speak to us through these ancient words that Luke has penned for us. We are grateful in advance for all that you will say, knowing that you are the one who says it. And so we request eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way that we long for heaven But more than anything else, we long for you. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, and everyone says. The kind of wrestling that they do in the Olympics and uh, in colleges and uh, high schools and middle schools and uh, clubs around the United States, around the world, is a really great sport. It's one that I, I thoroughly enjoyed through middle school and high school. Uh, one of the guys that I wrestled, all of those, a guy by the name of Doug. And Doug, um, Doug was a little nerdish. While everyone else had long, natural hair, Doug's hair was real short. It was propped up with butch hair wax. You remember that? I still have that smell in my nostrils. He wore horn-rimmed glasses. I broke them once uh, during P.E., had to tape them together with uh, athletic tape. Uh, Doug, in a lot of ways, was the whole nerd show, the complete nerd package. So we're out uh, in a dual meet, wrestling, um, at, a, at a wrestling uh, meet, and we're out on the mat, and we're warming up. And this happens all the time. I mean, we do the same thing. Uh, while the other team is warming up, we're trying to figure out who we're going to wrestle and try to size them up and to see if it looks like we're going to wrestle an easy guy or a hard guy. And that was usually based on what they were doing out there on the mat. And this happened every time. Some guy would figure that he was going to be wrestling Doug and think that he was about to go out and get an easy win. And as Doug's bout came up and he was about to go out onto the mat, he would take his glasses off and he would take off his, his warm-up jacket And surprise, under the butch wax and behind the glasses was a super athletic guy that looked like a bodybuilder. Surprise! (laughs) Clark Kent had just become Superman. (laughs) And the moral of that story, and every time I think about it, I laugh because we'd be sitting on the bench watching Doug go out, and we'd watch this guy on the other side come out, and he's ready to get it, you know, get it going. Doug would take off that jacket, and he'd go, and we look at each other and go, surprise, you know. <laughs> and, you know, the mind at the whooping at that point was done. And Doug never made it past a, a second period. I mean, he, he's a great, great wrestler. But the moral of that story is this. 
the greatest surprises come from the most unexpected sources. And that's really kind of the theme behind Christmas. A sermon on Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest who goes into the holy place of God there at the temple to burn incense. You know the story on the right side of the altar of incense. He meets an angel, and the angel says that his wife, Elizabeth, who has never, ever been able to have a baby and is now in advanced age, is going to have that little baby. And not only are they going to have a baby, but that baby is special. He is going to be the one that prepares the way. He's going to be the herald of the Messiah. He is going to open people's hearts up to receive God because God is coming at last. And Zechariah has a hard time believing it, even though he's a priest and he's talking to an angel. And the angel says, because you did not believe my words, you're not going to be able to say a single word until my words have come to their fulfillment, until the time that that baby to be named John is born. And it is of great joy as everything that the angel has said to him comes to pass. And Elizabeth especially is happy. She had longed in her heart for a long time to have a child. And she says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 1 that the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, six months later, 75 miles up the road to the north, God sends Gabriel the angel again to this tiny white spot in the middle of the road called Nazareth, just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. It's a great story. He appears to a young woman in the process of of getting married to a man by the name of Joseph. And he says to this young woman, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary's greatly troubled, Luke tells us, because of these words that the angel tells her. The angel tells her not to be afraid, for she has found favor with God. And she's going to conceive and give birth to a a, a boy by the name of Jesus, who is going to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mary asks, how will this come to pass? Which is another way of saying, let me know the plan. Let me know the plan. And the angel says it will happen through the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit will come. In language reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And Mary says at the end of that particular text, verse 38, says, may my words to me be fulfilled. What we find in this text are some extraordinary lessons on what a life of faith looks like. And there are three words, at least three, that define faith, a faith that is ready to respond to God, whatever comes, whatever it is that God says, there are three words that describe that faith. The words are humble and available and possible. Let's begin with that first one. The faith that responds to God's call and to God's will is is a faith that is humble. After Mary's encounter with the angel, she heads south to the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Most of church history says it's in a little place west of Jerusalem called Kiriath-Jerim. It's out in the desert. And it's there that she breaks out with that song we just sang, the Magnificat. Uh, Scotty just read, read it to us, and, and Ben just led us in singing it, that there is a line that has caught the eyes of scholars in recent years. That line is in verses 46, 47, and 48. My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of of his servant. 
It is believed that Mary was a part of a group in Judaism that was known as the Anawim, which, which means the faithful poor. The faithful poor, the, 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 the humble poor. The Anawim were the downtrodden. They, they were the ones that were living humbly in poverty. Their existence, therefore, was completely and significantly, they depended on God for everything. They were a very humble people. And near to their heart as the Anawim were the words of Psalm 149, verse 4, where the psalmist says, For the Lord takes delight in His people, and He crowns the humble with what? Victory. Further evidence of the humble state of Mary and of Joseph is that they can only afford the lowest permissible sacrifice for the dedication of Jesus on the eighth day after His birth. And as she is getting ready to join her life to Joseph, Gabriel shows up. And he says, the Lord is with you. And she is greatly troubled, which seems strange, since it sounds like something that the Anawim, the poor, the, the faithful poor, the humble poor, would want to hear. But in the scriptures of Mary's day, that is the Old Testament, they were the words of greeting right before somebody was given a difficult task. It was uh, the words that Gideon was given when an angel appeared to him. In Judges 6, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And right at that point, Gideon was in a hole hiding. But you're going to be a mighty warrior. Mary knows the Old Testament. And she anticipates that a difficult task lies in front of her. And it will be. Imagine telling Joseph that you're with a child. Travel to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus, according to Scripture. It's a long distance. The murderous threat of King Herod and the flight to Egypt. All the whispering that is going on in the village of Nazareth about Mary. The thoughts of divorce that are never carried out. At the presentation of Jesus at the temple, Simeon is prophesying, and he says at the, at the end of his prophecy, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary is going to be presented with a difficult task that is not going to end at childbirth or the return to Nazareth or when Jesus decides it's you know, time to leave home and to get on with his life. It will be difficult to be the mother of the Messiah for the 33 years that he lived. And humility is incredibly important when it comes to faith and obeying God because the call of God is to servanthood and not to convenience. The call of God is to servanthood and not convenience. God is about to call Mary to a life that she has not anticipated while she's getting ready to fully become the wife of Joseph. God is stepping into her life and it's coming to a, a, a bend in the road, a sharp bend. He is not calling her to an easy life, but on the contrary, He is calling to her to, her to live a more demanding life. And only in humbleness of heart will she in faith respond to God, who is her King, who speaks to her, as her Lord, she says in humbleness of heart, I am the Lord's servant. But not only does it take humility, but it takes availability. 
She shows us the importance of being available. I think it's interesting that in our culture, the more important you are, the less available you are. The layers of of people that someone has to go through to get to you only increases the more important you become. All the voicemails are screened. All the emails are screened. Listen, screening is... Screening those interruptions is an incredibly important part of life. That you know, My own day begins very early in a place of solitude. Jesus himself would leave early in the morning to go to a solitary place for prayer because the day was going to be filled with interruptions. But here's the thing. God, consistently in the Bible, steps into the life of a person who is willing to make himself or herself, in Mary's case, available to the great thing that God is doing and is about to make, make known to the entire world. He goes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to pack up your family, and I want you to leave the country, the, the place, the terrain, the, the context that you have known all of your life, and to go to a place that I'm going to, uh, to show you. He says to Moses, after 40 years of living as a shepherd out in the desert of the Midian desert, he says, Moses, it's time to leave that desert and to go back to Egypt because I've heard the groaning of my people and I want to fulfill the promise of taking them to the promised land. To Gideon, he says, Gideon, it's time to come out of your hiding place and to become a mighty warrior. To Mary, he says, you're about to have a child who will be the Son of God, the Messiah who will save his people from their sins. Not everybody in the Bible who gets this kind of communication says yes. Think about Herod and those wise men. The wise men have come from the east. And they come and they say, Herod, uh, can you tell us where this new king is being born? Herod says, that's a very interesting question. Let me think about it. Let me find out. He goes to his own fellows. They say, yeah, there's a prophecy. This is where it's supposed to be. It's the king of the Jews, the son of God, all of these kinds of things. And Herod knows that a king has been born. But he's not going to allow his own kingdom to be interrupted by the kingdom of God to the extent that he will send his stormtroopers down to Bethlehem to kill all of the boys in that vicinity, age two and under. He says no. One of the great tests, I think, for the level of availability you have in your life to respond to the call of God is whether or not you can be interrupted. Whether or not you're trying to line your life up with the timeline of God, which sometimes means you're going to be interrupted. Can your life be interrupted? We all have to answer this question. Do I live the kind of life God can interrupt for His purposes? And sometimes those purposes are five minutes or ten minutes or thirty minutes in duration. Sometimes it may take half a day. Sometimes it's a change of life. Do I live the kind of love for His purposes? The faith that responds to God is not just humble, but it's available. Here am I, Isaiah says. Send me. And then the last thing is possible. Possibilities. Verse 37 is a bit difficult to translate. Uh, In some of the older translations, for nothing is impossible to God, Gabriel says. Recently, uh, newer translations put it this way, no word from God will ever fail. 
basically saying the same thing as God's word is also his power of creation. His word has power. His word has strength. It brings things about. When God says it, it happens. When God speaks, it comes about. Have we fully accepted, I wonder, have we fully accepted this truth about God and, and his, his work and His power and His might and His will? And not, I mean, not just to know it. Some, somebody asks you, you know, can God do such a thing? You say, yeah, nothing is impossible to God. Not just be able to respond to somebody else, but in our own life, in our heart of hearts, in the niches, in, in the inner part of our life, do we know it to be true to the point that we allow it to form the way we live in faith? What call, God calls us to do, what, what God calls us to do is, is, is possible. For nothing is impossible to God. Do we believe it? If we don't, we will always keep our thumb awfully close to the bailout button when what God calls us to do becomes a little bit too uncomfortable or too difficult. You know, we don't know how old Mary was when all of this happened. We don't. The most educated guesses are that she's somewhere in the age of these guys right down here on the front rows. Teenagers. God chose a young teenage girl to bring His Son humanity into flesh into the world who had never been with a man it's going to be by the holy spirit it will be by the holy spirit and mary may not know everything there is to know about the world at large but she knows this about god everything is possible she will give birth far from home. Herod will try to kill the baby, will try to kill her, will try to kill her husband. They will have to leave Israel for a period of time. They're going to live in Egypt on the land. She doesn't have a clue how any of this is going to play out. You know, Gabriel doesn't, you know, ironically, Gabriel doesn't go, okay, here's, the, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to go to Bethlehem. You're going to have a baby. Shepherds are going to show up. Wise men are going to show up. And then you're going to find out that Herod is going to show up, and you've got to get to Egypt. And you're going to stay in Egypt until it's time for you to come back. But there are still going to be some dangers in the southern part of Israel. You need to get yourself up to Nazareth. He goes, yes, it's going to happen because of the Holy Spirit's power overshadowing you. She says, may your word be fulfilled in me. She never left Bethlehem thinking that she would see Egypt. She knew it was going to be tough because neighbors are neighbors. But she didn't think that the king of her country would try to kill her. But she's humble. She knows that God is God and nothing less. And she's available to God. And she believes that nothing is impossible when God speaks it. And in the end, she doesn't magnify the problems and the difficulties. What she does is she magnifies God. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul praises the Lord. 
and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, God has not stopped calling people like you and me to do His will every day. Sometimes it's, it's something big. A lot of the times it's not. But the way that God has chosen to work in the world is in cooperation with people of faith. People who say, I believe that you are the greatest reality, that you are the most dense of truths, that there is nothing higher, more valuable, more profound, more significant than God. And says, I, and I recognize And in humility, and in humility, is able to hear what it is that God says. At the same time, it's people who have made themselves available. That when God comes into their life and there's a door that opens or a window that opens, they're available. Their life can be interrupted. Their life can be interrupted to to, to share a blessing from God, a word from God, a listening ear from God that just happens to look like your ear. Making themselves interruptible and available to be where God needs them to be and to be what God needs them to be in His human project. And not only that, to be able to do it with complete humility and to do it because we're available and God can interrupt us. Could you imagine, say, uh, God, can you give me five minutes? To be completely interruptible. God, I'm on the phone, you know. But at the same time to realize that whatever it is that God is going to call you to, it is possible to be done to His glory in such a way that people are blessed. That's what, Mary, that's what Mary shows us about how to respond to God. One of, the, one of the things that is beautiful about this time of year is that it's not just us that are thinking about the Incarnation. Most of the known world tipping its hat to the Incarnation and to Christianity and thinking and pondering and contemplating. And who knows what might happen in the next couple of weeks? Who knows what might happen this next Saturday as we're out making those deliveries? Who knows what it is that God is going to open a door or a window in order to allow our life and His kingdom to come into somebody else's or another family's life? It might be that you need that to happen for yourself this morning. It may be today that you see that, you know, I, I've, I've really believed in God but I've been fighting God and I realize now that I need God not just to basis but I need God to interrupt everything that's going on in my life right now and I know that he can do it because all things are possible with him that I can be reconciled to him that I can have my sins forgiven because of the man that this young child grew up to be without blemish, perfect according to every law that God ever gave, and in love gave himself as a sacrifice in order for me to live forever. He died in order for people of faith to live forever. And if that describes you this morning, you know, and you're ready to turn your life 180 degrees in order to go towards God and to confess, yes, He is God. He is Lord. He is King. To have your sins washed away in baptism. To line your line up, your life, uh, line your life up with God through declaring publicly in baptism 
that He is my Lord and to call Him that and to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit and to know that He's going to change you into the person you were always meant to be. We're going to have some of these shepherds down here that we might minister to you today. We're going to ask you to come forward and talk to these shepherds as we stand and we praise God together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare.